In the grand theater of life, we all seek a comeback, a resurgence, a rekindling of our inner fire. But how do we spark that flame? Welcome to Reignite Resilience. This is not just another podcast. This is a journey, a venture into the heart of human spirit, the power of resilience, and the art of reigniting our passions. Welcome back to part two of our two-part series with an interview with Mike Staver, international speaker, leadership coach, and author of Leadership Isn't for Cowards. We are so excited to dive back into our discussion with Mike, where we will leave you with some of the commonalities that he has seen in his coaching experience with people that actually work through adversities within their lives. Enjoy. You know, and I, we, Natalie and I have talked about this before. It's We think it's an, a, like a, an American thing. It's like this, they promote the whole work hard, work hard, work hard, work hard. You're, you're rewarded for that, but not for taking time off and taking breaks. And so I think we've created this society where we do feel like we need to work all the time or we're going to miss out on something. And Mike coaches me. And so when he was talking about some people, he may or may not have been referring. (laughs) I'm just saying. All my sessions are confidential. Whatever. Well, I'm all about... Just abundant, you know, transparency. Transparency. Yeah, she's she's being as vulnerable (laughs) as possible. I may or may not even see resting as a competition. (laughs) That's true. It's so true. Well, and and you talk about the two different schools of thoughts, right? Like it's Mm -hmm. the if you were brought up in a household where you were measured based off of what you achieve or what you accomplish or what you do, and where rest is not seen as something that is actually productive, then you've got the folks that had both, right? Because that, I mean, both of those go hand in hand in terms of, it's still something that I have to work very intentionally at. I have a hard time slowing down and I have friends that check in and they're like, girl, when are you going to sit down? And I'm like, why? Why would I stop? I've got things to do. Yeah. So it's hard for me to, to just take those moments to pause. Who was it? Was it Eleanor Roosevelt? I think it was Eleanor Roosevelt. I love this quote. She said, don't just do something, stand there. And I love that quote so much. And I will tell you that given my other duties outside of business, the last two and a half years have really taught me the value of that. I mean, I, I found a lot of, it's a little bit like the tighter you wind the spring, the longer it takes it to unwind. But here's the thing we all have to keep in mind, and that is sometimes the spring is wound so tight that two notches of unwinding it feels like you're unwinding, but the spring's still too tight. Yeah. You know what I mean? And so uh, I'm interested in the, and we probably don't have time for it today, but some show maybe you guys should talk about the difference in resilience and stubborn. Mm. You know, the, uh, the intersection of being resilient and stubborn, sometimes bouncing back from difficulty, which is what resilience is, or pressing forward in difficult circumstances is good. There's an old, um, from the recovery community, maybe you've heard it. I love this, love this story. It is, today I walked down the street and I fell in a hole. I screamed and cried and begged until somebody finally helped me out, period. New paragraph. Today, I walked down the street and fell in a hole. This time, I didn't yell and scream. I waited for somebody to come get me, period, new paragraph. Today, I walked down the street and I walked around the hole, period. Today, I walked down, this, today I walked down a different street. Mm-hmm. And this is the core of success and 
resilience and peace of mind is that sometimes if I just keep pressing against something that there, that there's just no getting past it, right? Yeah. It's the law of diminishing returns. And so it's an interesting thing to say for your listeners to think about, am I being resilient or am I being stubborn? Am I being resilient or am I just holding on to something past the sell-by date, yeah. right? Am I, right? And, yeah. and I think that that's an interesting thing to c- consider because there have been times I've let go, I've had to let go of things that my pride did not want me to let go of, that I felt I was helping somebody one time through a divorce. And she said something to me. She goes, I just feel like a failure. And I said this to her and I've said it ever since. Finished doesn't equal failure. Mm -hmm. Finished doesn't equal failure. Mm -hmm. Just because I'm finished with this chapter, with this section, with this relationship might mean failure, but it doesn't necessarily mean that. And sometimes what is it? What is it that, uh, Kenny Rogers said, you got to know when to hold them, know when to fold them, know when to walk yeah. away, know when to run. I mean, no when to run. That's right. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, and I think that's such a big piece because we've not gone down that path in terms of looking at resiliency and it potentially leading to detrimental decisions, right? And you've mentioned that a couple of times, like how you can teeter on that line of, is it resiliency or stubbornness? And are the decisions or the choices that you make going to lead you towards that reward that you truly think, or is it going to be a detrimental decision that you make? That's a piece of resiliency that we have not truly explored with our listeners. And I think you're spot on. I'd love to go down that path. And how much does resilience, and what about resilience because of my ego? Like, I'm just going to hang on to this because I got to make it work. I got to, I got to, you know, I mean, we, we have an online platform that I've spent a lot of money on. It's not really successful by much of a measure. I've got friends who are making millions of dollars in their online platform. We aren't. We're making dollars. And Mm so am I being resilient by continuing to press or am I being stubborn? Or does that thing need to go in the garbage disposal? I need to move on. You know, I tell people in our business all the time, if you've got a thousand books in your garage and you published the book five years ago and none of them were sold, they need to be incinerated. And when is it our old messaging? Like in my world, I, I was kind of raised with this. If you got this, just imagine if you got that and imagine if you get, so is this nothing quite being good enough? So that drive over the next hurdle was so critical that, you know, yeah. it can lead to burnout. So it's a, it'd be an interesting thing to explore, you know, how much of this is my own issue where I should be cutting it loose and how much of this is really healthy resilience. Yeah, yeah that's huge. Well, Mike, Pam mentioned in your intro bio that you love so much that you're also an author. Uh, tell us about that journey. How did you happen upon that? I'm so dumb when it comes to writing. First thing I ever did was I did something called How to Diffuse Anger and Calm People Down. I was a, in the hospital. I was in charge of something called an MAB team. Do you have any guesses on what M like Mike, A like Apple, B like B stands for? Mm-mm. Management of Assaultive Behavior. Oh, mm-hmm. So if somebody in a hospital gets angry or loses their temper, starts throwing things, whatever, my team was the team that went in and tried to de-escalate it and encourage them, sometimes forcefully. So I started studying with a professor from, well, I didn't start studying with the professor. I used some of the professor's research and started looking at what were the tendencies to escalate and how do people escalate? And so anyway, I did that. I wrote a program called 21 Ways to Diffuse Anger and Calm People Down. Sold a lot over the years. So I wrote that first. Then I write blogs. I used to write a lot of blogs. I do Monies with Mike now, but I used to write a lot of blogs. 
And so we took 52 of my blogs and did a book called, Do You Know How to Shut Up? Ah, okay. And uh, the only reason that's the title is I was having lunch with my parents one day on a Sunday and my dad said, do you have a title for your book yet? And I said, no, I don't. He said, I have it. And I said, well, what is this, my stepdad? And I said, what is it? I've got these 52 blogs. It's like a blog a week, right? And uh, he said, you should do, do you know how to shut up? I'm like, okay, that's perfect. That's the name of the book. And he said, I said, why? He said, your mother and I just came from church and I swear our preacher does not know how to shut up. (laughs) (laughs) So that was the next one. Then I wrote uh, Leadership Is It For Cowards. Speaking of resilience. So I'm sitting in my office and in my business, just so you guys know, this is kind of a warning for the two of you on your journey as well. You're going to get a lot of calls from people who are going to have these great opportunities, but really it's not a great opportunity. They just want you to spend money. Mm-hmm. So I had just been interviewed for this TV show and they wanted me to have my own show on what was then the personal development network or profile. I don't remember what it was. So. And we got right down to signing the contract and they sent me an invoice for $28,000 because they wanted me to spend the 28 grand to start the show. I'm like, what? That was never part of it. <laughs> so I was a little bitter about people scamming me. Yeah. And my assistant came in one day and said, hey, there's a guy on the phone that says they'd like to do a book deal with you. And I'm like, you can just tell him to take his book deal and head on down the road. She goes, okay. So she told him no. A couple of weeks goes by. She comes in. Guy's on the phone again. I'm like, ah, he's persistent. Maybe we should hire him to sell for us. Tell him no. Mm-hmm. So she said no. About a month later, guy calls again. My assistant comes in. She says, Mike, I think you should talk to him. I'm like, Marianne, I think I'm going to get, I think he's going to try to scam me. So I had such an attitude. It was like, Hello. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. And I said, so how much do I have to pay? And he started laughing. He goes, oh, you've been contacted by some of those people. Turns out the guy was totally legit. Had I not? <laughs> I not? Yeah, I got an advance. I mean, they gave me this fat advance to write the book. They published it. I mean, so I did that. I did Leadership Isn't for Cowards. And that, how I got there was just... People around me saying, you really ought to write. You really ought to write. I don't enjoy it. I don't enjoy writing. I'm pretty good at it. I don't enjoy it, though. Probably if I was in school today, I would have had ADD because I talk better than I write. That's not true. I actually write better than I talk, but I just don't enjoy it very much. Right. We're working on one right now. Hopefully, we'll be wrapped up in the first quarter called, not that we need it in the world where we live in, called Navigating Crazy, How to Live and Work Sanely in an Insane World. And it's the story of of people and and resilient, speaking of resiliency, but it's really about what is the path that we need to follow in life right now? Like things are coming at us, right? And where are the things, how do I navigate that? How do I go left and go right and say yes and say no in a way that's more intentional, isn't fear-based, is courage-based, but is uh, still good. So that's good. Yeah. Yeah. I'm looking forward to that. I think that's a, that'll be a good one. Pam and I often connect and when they're wild interesting things that are happening within our industry. We always like our, our calming mantra is like, that's not my circus and those are not my monkeys. And we that's just keep going on. So I navigating crazy. That's what we're like. That's not our circus, not that, our monkeys. So true. <laughs> there was a time when Natalie and I were working together and we did a call every night at five yes. so that I could find out what monkeys got out of the cage that day. Yep. Exactly. Was, we both had, came with a glass of wine because we're like, yeah. well, what I'm glad I, it was just a glass. I'd it'd been a bottle the way it I didn't tell you how big the glass was. Oh, exactly. yeah, that's right. <laughs> they do have glass. You said a glass, period. I thought it was a glass, comma, a glass, comma, bottle, a glass bottle. That's me. <laughs> <Yes. laughs> 
<laughs> yes. That's it. It's a glass bottle. Yeah, yes, that's it. Maybe on occasion. Yes, depending uh, on how big the circus was that came to yeah. town. <laughs> So, so Mike, you, you've coached a lot of people through really difficult times. Yeah. And are there commonalities that you see on things that people have done to get themselves through tough times? Yes. I know we're all different, but are there some common yes. things? Yes. Uh, here are the common, and maybe it's common to me because I help so many people. Many of my clients say that really should be the specialty that I have is helping people through crisis. And maybe it should be, but uh, it just kind of tends to come to me. I'm actually, I was told about six months ago, I didn't know this, but in a four or five month period of time, I got letters from lawyers that said I'm the number one call in a crisis on like five or like I got five or six different calls or letters. Mm -hmm. I'm not really sure why, but whatever. Here's the point. There are a couple of things that I see that people would get through things. Number one, they are fully present in it at that moment. They are not rationalizing, pretending this is no big deal. You know, they they are willing to be present in the yuck or the ugliness. The second thing that I see that I think people do a really good job of is having a belief, albeit a muted or quiet or dark into belief, that this isn't going to last forever. That, that there is a there is something just over the horizon. And I don't know when it is. And I'm not going to think about it. Mm-hmm. Right. I'm just going to be present in the bad. And then I'm going to just have a sense that this won't last forever. Mm-hmm. You know, Martin Seligman did a lot of research around the dichotomy between permanence and temporary and found that most people who see life difficulties as temporary fare better. So that's mm-hmm. uh, the third thing is that they tend to surround themselves with a support team that understands what they need in support. Is it just this cheerleaders or saying stupid things like, I know how you feel. My cat died once when somebody dies. It's actually happened to me when somebody lost a kid. It's terrible. And then uh, I think the final thing is that they have a generally a strength of determination. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. In other words, they are really good at understanding when to press forward and when to pull back. Mm-hmm. And I will tell you, they don't naturally know it. I have a client that who's, we were working, we were actually right in the beginning, or right at the end, she was about to go into her father's office and tell him that she was moving on. She couldn't work in the family business anymore. And he died that afternoon before Mm -hmm. she went to tell him that. And she was the heir apparent to the business. And so I got that call. I'll never forget it. I was in Tampa, Florida. It was seven o'clock at night. And uh, I was in Sarasota, Florida. No, I was in Tampa. And, um, She's the perfect example of that. Her whole life shifted. She went back to the business. She took over the business. It took us three years to, to get all the way through it. So those are the big things, I think. And any one of those things that's missing generally makes it really difficult. You know, we didn't survive as a species because of our sharp teeth or our thick skin or our claws. We survived as a species because of community. And yeah. otherwise, we would have been eaten a long time ago. So those are the big things that I see with people. And all four of those collectively, right? It's not just one or two or three of the four. It's all four of those must be present. Yeah, because I can have a lot of support around me and people that love me and encourage me, but I don't have a sense that this isn't going to last forever so I can turn into a victim or I can be not at all determined. I think it's not going to last forever. I've got a bunch of friends around me, but I don't have much determination so I can just stall, which would be difficult to do. And we've talked about it a, a quite a few times and you brought this to me was just allowing yourself to be present in that feeling because I'm that person, you know this, Natalie knows this, 
I can mindset my or think myself through something or rationalize myself through something like, oh, this happened because of this. It's fine because, of, but not really allowing myself to fully feel it. It's that heart set piece of it. Yeah, uh, it's hard. I mean, you know, hard. people, it sounds all great on a great Hallmark card. Yeah. But when you're in the ugly, it's ugly. The book, as I mentioned to you, that changed the course of my life, The Road Less Travel by M. Scott Peck, the mm-hmm. first sentence of his book is life is difficult. That's the first sentence. The second sentence is the acceptance of life's difficulties begins to make life less difficult. Yeah. And to me, I mean, I don't dig it. I don't like it. You know, if I'm in a really bad place or I'm depressed or I'm sad, or even if I'm happy, whatever it is, you know, I tend to be a move through it person, but probably the best thing I ever learned in my life was in the state that I find myself to be fully present in it. Because there's something in it for all of us. A great book your your listeners might like is um, Transitions by William Bridges. Yeah, it's, it's such an outstanding book. Bill and I and Bob Kriegel, who Krieger, who wrote Sacred, I think he wrote Sacred Cows Make the Best Burgers, did a cable show. And Bill, who's now passed, unfortunately, we had a long conversation. And in the book, he talks about endings a neutral zone and new beginnings. Mm -hmm. And he says that we are traditionally terrible at endings. Mm -hmm. We think we're okay. So we get a divorce, the paperwork's done, we're on. But he says, there's this neutral zone where you have to let go of what was and be fully present in nothing before you're ready to start. But most of us hold onto the sinking boat, wait for the floating boat. And we're like, speaking of monkeys, and we're swinging back and forth. We don't want to let go of that until I've got this. And so yeah. that can be. Can yeah. Be and then what happens is then we jump onto that new thing and then something happens and it ends up being related or a pattern or very much brings back everything that happened in that first, that first instance. Yeah. And so right. it, which just keeps us stuck. Yeah. And so I love that idea of that neutral zone where we, yeah. you know, we go through a divorce and now let's be present in being on my own, being single, not mm-hmm. having anyone to depend on, depend on myself. So, And the emotional neutral zone is even yeah. harder. Yeah. Because sometimes if we use that or we lose a job or leave a job, we aren't done until the emotional attachment is over. So yeah. if I'm out of a job or out of a relationship and I still hold anger in my heart or I still hold yeah. a lack of forgiveness or I start projecting, oh no, I was with a guy like you before. Oh no, I know exactly. girls like you. I know men like you. That's yeah. a lack of an ending. Right. That is the primary symptom of something hasn't ended. And that's what Bridges says. Everyone's like, oh yeah, I'm done with that. But yeah. I'm never trusting so-and-so again. Oh, well, maybe you're not done. <laughs> you're yeah, not done. absolutely. I moved on. And I love the the career connection that's made in that book, right? Because people typically do that. Like they're unhappy in a position or a job or with a company and they secure the next thing and they just make a quick jump, right? It's, well, I've stopped doing X and now I'm doing Y. And mm-hmm. you're all of the emotional luggage that comes with X that you didn't talk about, right? Like if it's underappreciated or overworked or whatever it may be. You're going to carry that over too, because you haven't really put an end or even been present with that, that emotional piece of it. It's huge. If you haven't read the book Transitions by William Bridges, check it out. Have you ever heard the quote, wherever you go, there you are. That's it. <laughs> no, it's so true, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. That is it. I love that. I love uh, that. Uh, oh my gosh. Well, Mike, you also have a fabulous coaching certification program. 
Talk to us about that. Inform our listeners, because I think there are ways for them to get connected with you. And Yeah. So some years ago, somebody said, hey, can you teach people to do what you do? And I'm like, what do you mean? And they said, can you teach people to coach like you coach? Mm-hmm. And I, of course, you know how it is with customers. Of course I can. Of course I can. It <laughs> no doesn't idea. exist, but I will make it. <laughs> One of my greatest weaknesses of many, I mean, I have so many, I have more issues than Life Magazine. And, but I'm an oversimplifier. I'm a really bad oversimplifier because I don't think I'm very smart. So if I'm not very smart, then you can do it. If I can do it, anybody can do it. In fact, my stepdad wrote a book called If I Can, Anyone Can. So anyway, I got asked to do this thing and I put together this curriculum and and uh, started certifying coaches. We've certified, I guess, three or 400 now, Pam. Is that right? Yep. Something like that. Yeah. Yeah, we have one coming up, another cohort coming up in January. You can go to MikeStaver.com, MikeStaver.com. Right at the top of the page, you can click on the link. You can read some more information. We'd love to have folks in that. We're doing three in 2024. So we'd love to uh, love to have folks. Here's what I love about the whole program. It can be in any industry. It can be for anything. It can be even if you just want to be... I think even just a better person because what it teaches you is how to be curious and not sometimes listen to our biases that we may have. Mm -hmm. And I've learned so much out of it. One of the people in one of our classes talked about how they've been using it with their teenager. Mm -hmm. And they said it has completely changed the relationship since they started doing this. And it was so funny because now the teenager and the spouse is like noticing, like, wait, but like, what's different here? And it's just because of the way they're showing up and being curious. And so I highly recommend it. I, how many times have I gone through it, Mike? Like, I'm a slow learner, so it takes me. <laughs> I don't know a lot, though. Yeah, that, Pam's one of our senior people. You do great work, man. Yeah. You're our senior well, preferred coach. Great. I'm just really passionate about it. So, and Natalie, I mean, Natalie and I are both coaches. And so I think this is just a, a great thing. Even if you don't want to be a coach, can help you be a better leader, better parent, better, better human, really. Yeah. And the beauty of it, I think, right, is that there's, we're not, you know, you could be a ninja coach or a Maxwell coach or a workman coach or a mm-hmm. any kind of coach. We don't care what your philosophy is. But what I find, especially now, is coaching has become a fad. And everybody's hanging up a shingle saying, I'm a coach, I'm a coach, I'm a coach. And there's so many people that are terrible at it. And some people go out and they learn how to be a coach only in one category or methodology. And then they're stuck there. They cannot, if somebody comes with a problem that doesn't fit the one, two, three ABC system, they're stuck. And what we want to do is build the foundation a good, strong foundation. So you put whatever philosophical bent you want it. We've had pastors come through it. We've had real estate leaders. We've had pharmaceutical leaders. We've had nonprofits, for-profits, for-profits that weren't profitable. We've had them all come <laughs> yes. through it. We've had professors. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I love that. So both personal and professional development. I mean, because that's a huge stroke when you have individuals that say, hey, can you coach us to coach like you? I mean, that's Mike, that when you when you get that request, that's, but the fact that you were able to create a program, it's, and it's repeatable, right? You're not the Michael Jordan, and you're the only one that's able to do it. Right. You are able to give everyone the tools that they need. Yeah. yeah. And, and speaking of resilience, I mean, we've, if it's been three or 400 that we've done, we've probably got 50 or 60 that are crushing it. They're resilient. They just keep yeah. coming out. They just keep trying it. They keep working at it. Yeah, there's a lot of great stories out there that are coming out of it. We're very, I'm very humbled by it. It's 
I never thought it would take off like this. So love to have anyone who'd like to show up. Yeah. Perfect. Awesome. All right. Any final thoughts that you would like to share with the listeners before we end? I think the primary thought is specifically as it relates to resilience is do not assume that this is some punchline or some good idea. It's hard and it's supposed to be hard. And I think we're living in a world where people are getting too soft, right? They believe that things should be easier than they are. And it's not easy, but that's not negative. It's just not easy. Nothing's easy. I mean, you learn to tie your shoes. That wasn't easy. You were potty trained, probably most of your listeners, you know, that's not easy. You learn to walk, not easy. I just watched a seven-month-old pull the stand for the first time, and he looked at me like he had just like won the World Series. He was so excited. Uh-huh. So yeah. but that boy's been struggling for months trying to figure it out. So most of us, if we had the mind of an infant and the determination and resilience of an infant, we'd be a lot better off because they just kind of accept this is the way it is. This is the way it goes, right? I guess this is the way it works. And so that's what I would say. Let's not can it in some simplistic kumbaya kind of mindset and go the tough road is generally a road that's going to result in good outcomes and if it doesn't we got to take a different road as we said earlier right i love it i love it natalie any final thoughts oh my gosh mike i want to thank you so much it has been an absolute pleasure and honor to have you on the show i have a ton of notes as usual and so much that i'm going to just add to my tool belt but i absolutely appreciate you and taking the time out to join us today well well done you guys i'm excited for you this podcast is amazing and let's make sure we get a lot of listeners friends and family tell everyone about this it's a really good thing thanks for having me thank you thank you bye guys Thank you for joining us on today's episode of Reignite Resilience. We hope that you had amazing ahas and takeaways. Remember to subscribe on your favorite streaming platform, like it and download the upcoming episodes. And if you know anyone in your life that is looking to continue to ignite their resilience, share it with them. We look forward to seeing you on our future episodes. And until then, continue to reignite that fire within your hearts.